Hi everyone and thanks for tuning in to the podcast. You're listening to Asian Working As and today I've got a special episode with Natalie Chung who is also a fellow podcast host. If you don't already know, she runs Yellow Bee Pod, which is about Asian culture, identity and more. In this episode, I'm really excited to talk to Natalie about her passion for youth development um, and equality, diversity and inclusion, her volunteering experience, public speaking and much more. Hi Natalie and thanks for joining me today. Hi, thanks so much for inviting me. Really glad to meet with you and to be a guest on your podcast. Oh, um, so before we begin Natalie, I just wanted to quickly ask you if you could introduce yourself to the listeners so they have like a brief background about you. Yeah, um, well, I think you've covered a lot of it, but since this podcast called Asian Working As, um, in my day job I work as an enterprise coordinator so supporting um, a volunteer program in the education sector, something I'm really passionate about and I'm sure it's something we'll get more into today. Um, as you mentioned, I have a few like side hustles outside of work, also host a podcast, which is amazing. I love seeing all these British Asian podcasts popping up. I love it. <laughs> it's like definitely what I want to see. Um, yeah, so mine is Yellow Bee Pod and it started off as a lockdown passion project. I think, like yourself, I'm really passionate about um, promoting East and Southeast Asians um, in different settings, um, particularly diaspora based here in the UK. So that's a big passion project for me. And I also do some freelance, like speaking, delivering workshops, facilitation, and some um, diversity and inclusion consulting on the side. Um, nice. Uh, yeah, what, what else do you want to say? I'm Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> Big up to all the Malaysians. Um, thank you so much for that. And gosh, like that is a lot of things that you do, you know, beyond just your like day-to-day job as well. So also for the listeners, I just want to start by highlighting that Natalie has, you know, received so many awards and recognitions to date. So just to name a few, um, she was the finalist um for you we are the City Rising Star Awards 2021. Um, also the Amy Johnson Inspiration Award winner in 2019 for Diversity and Inclusion and um, she's also um, been a TED-Ed speaker which you can listen to on YouTube if you just kind of you know put her name on YouTube um, and it is an incredible um, speaking video. I have listened to it and it is very inspirational um, and lots more basically um, that's just a few. Um, so you know what Everything that you've achieved so far is, is remarkable, Natalie, and, you know, congrats for all of that. And I'm sure there's more to come in the near future as well. Thank you. Um, and basically following from that, um, I actually wanted to, you know, ask you, like, uh, the first thing that pops into my head is you've done so much work with, and when it comes to education, STEM, and also, like, working with the youth. Um, so what was it um, that made you want to work in this field and why you know why do you want to kind of help the youth of today basically yeah um hmm, let's see where should I start I guess I should start on my own sort of education and professional journey Mm -hmm. so I um when I left school at 18 I went on to study civil engineering at university and it um wasn't until then that I realized that um a lot of people don't know what civil engineering is there is also a massive um underrepresentation of certain groups including women including ethnic minorities within civil engineering and lots of other industries 
not just within STEM, so science, technology, engineering and math, also basically every industry. I swear the more I read about it, it just seems like every industry there's a representation right. for women in senior levels anyway, and also for um, certain minority groups. And as a member of those groups, I was really passionate about um, sort of sharing these opportunities. And when I was a student, I um, led a, a student team. As a, it was a student society that I'm so glad I signed up for because it really started as trajectory to where I, the role I'm in today. And um, so it was all about uh, getting local school kids to come visit the university, get to meet some current students, and also to have a go with a um, coding workshop on campus. Um, so we were working with students around a few different age groups, some primary school kids, but also mainly secondary school kids around the age of 14, when students start making really key decisions mm-hmm. about what that they're going to make moving forward. Um, and yeah, the more I've worked in this field, the more I realise what I don't know. Everyone has such a unique experience. But ultimately, what I want to support is for young people to be able to make more informed decisions. Some of that does relate to diversity and inclusion because people might have misconceptions about certain roles, certain industries, and don't think it's for, quote, someone like me. Mm -hmm. Also, it it relates to, you know, social mobility. And um, I'm really glad to work with volunteers in my current role. Um, So, yeah, it sort of started from there when I was a university student studying civil engineering. Um, I'm keen to support students to consider lots of different roles, but I always have a special place in my heart for like civil engineering, construction. I know you've had um, a civil, a structural engineer, Selena. Yeah, yeah, I have. Love that one. Go back and listen to that that episode. I don't know what number it is. Go back to listen to that episode if you're listening to this. Um, She did a really great job at representing the sort of the structural engineering and construction field as an Asian woman as well. Oh, um, it's it's really interesting to hear that. Obviously, you know, you. Um, I think I heard in one of your own podcasts that, uh, or your speech, uh, your speech even when you're doing the TED um conference. Basically, you when you were a student yourself, you were the only kind of girl back then in your science class or physics class or maths class. Um, and when you were like younger, you like cool? who did you kind of seek? out for help when it came to saying you wanted to be a civil engineer because obviously like you mentioned there is um you know disparity in terms of the number of men and women who do the subject so what made you want to kind of go into civil engineering yeah so that takes me right back to my teenage years and there definitely was a point when I was um as you mentioned when I was 18 in my last year of school of sixth form, I was the only girl in all of my classes, which was really bizarre, and that was down to my subject choices and the timetabling. So I was taking sort of maths, further maths, um, computing, and physics when I was in upper six. I think that's right. And yeah, I was the only girl in all of my classes, which was quite a big dynamic change for mm-hmm. me. Um, it shouldn't be that different, you know. Like with uh, gender, it's not binary and everything, but th- there was a difference between yeah. being in a mixed class or an all-girls class and then suddenly being in a, uh, a class where I was the only um, female student. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that I very quickly had to get used to because when I was at university, it was also, you know, relatively low numbers. Um, but when I was a teenager, I was always really supported to um, like consider STEM careers, including um, engineering. Um, yeah, I can't deny that I like maths. And yeah. I, 
hate competing at A-level as soon as I had the option to because I was really interested in like technology or like studying computer science and um, it wasn't until I studied computing at A-level when I actually considered maybe computer science at university isn't what I want to do, maybe it's something along the lines of a field of engineering. I went through all the different types of engineering right. and then settled on civil engineering which was largely influenced by a workplace placement I had when I was um, a teenager so those work experience weeks that a lot of people had um yeah and in terms of like the influence and support I definitely had a lot of support in some ways and also not as much support as I as I could have had in mm-hmm. other ways my school was extremely supportive I went to a school within my peer group it was almost everyone um went to university which isn't typical for uh, every school mm-hmm. and so that was always my path so I was um had a lot of support in that area but I'm also um sort of the first generation of my family knew of my parents and university graduates um, and I'm the eldest out of my siblings so I was sort of discovering and discovering sure. this path of like, uni applications and everything um by myself for the first time but also with a lot of support from my school which I'm mm-hmm. really thankful for um so I really think that helped me with um my path and yeah. if I had maybe a bad um, physics or computing or math teacher I might not have ended up pursuing civil engineering mm-hmm. I'm really grateful for that I think that can make a huge difference in a young person's um, career um, when they're making those key decisions yeah no definitely and it's great to see that yeah you've you've made it basically <laughs> um I'm and working in the field now so I feel like a bit of a snake because I always hype on about how great you know women in engineering you know the construction industry is fantastic but I left the field after only working in it for a few years so I no. have mixed feelings but I'm glad I took the path that I did yeah but the thing is I feel like you're kind of passing on um good message when it comes to helping the youth still it's like you know, you still kind of talk about it, you're still passionate about it. It doesn't mean that you don't care about it. Um, we all evolve. Uh, we all keep changing what we do. Um, but it's so it's great to see what you're doing now as well. Um, I just want to kind of go back a little bit um, because I was really interested in hearing about your volunteering role that you did at Togo. Um, could you just speak a little bit more about that um, and just kind of expand on what it is that you did and why you were there? Sure. Um, so the volunteering that you mentioned that I did in Togo, that was quite separate to the, very different from the volunteering that I mentioned that I did before when I was a student around um, working with local schools and coding workshops. Right. Um, so this took place after I had started working. So I graduated, started working as a graduate civil engineer in London, and I actually took a sabbatical very, very early in my career to volunteer on the um, it's a youth program, it's a government funded program called International Citizen Service and actually I think I should be speaking about it in the past sense, tense because I don't think it exists anymore right. unfortunately which is a real shame because I feel like it was a really worthwhile program and um, so as part of that program I um, spent firstly three months volunteering in Zambia supporting a local um, renewable energy company and um, so an entrepreneur in uh, Zambia, we were able to support them as sort of business support associates, mm-hmm. which was something that was quite new to me, um, but also relates to sort of my engineering background. My dissertation was on sustainability, right. so being able to work on a renewable energy project was really fantastic. Um, this was years ago now, so I'm really sort of reminiscing about that time. Um, I just, yeah, I mean, I just think it's incredible that, you know, you can go to a different country, like especially at 
um, I suppose, quite an early stage in your career or when you were still very young. Uh, I just wanted to kind of, I suppose, understand like how you were feeling and, you know, all the experience that you gained from it. Like, what was it like for you at such a yeah. young age to be able to do that? Um, no, it was really great. And I think something that I um, found quite, like, I guess it was unusual that I had pretty much just started working. I was still at a graduate level on this sort of corporate ladder. Um, but then I sort of took that time off to go volunteer overseas. So I felt like I was very much sort of taking that step alone. So none of my peers were considering taking sabbatical and actually some of them thought I was absolutely mental for doing it because I had you know only recently started working in this this graduate program which when you're a university student is sort of what you're aiming for what you're aiming for is that graduate role but yeah. I was you know, after only a year and a half I, I took some time off um to yeah volunteer overseas so even though in some sense I did feel like I was going um, on this adventure alone but it was part of a volunteer scheme so I was part of a cohort of other young adults uh, from the UK who were working um, alongside young adults from the local country from Zambia and uh, yeah it was really exciting so I had lots of support from the charity that I worked with and um, which was called Challenges Worldwide and that was um, reassuring because I knew that I was following in the footsteps of previous volunteers mm had sort of done the, the same placement but working with a different entrepreneur yeah so, yeah that was really fantastic um but yeah definitely putting it myself out of my comfort zone not just in sort of cultural differences but also in the work that we were doing so mm-hmm. working on something business related um um and that but I enjoyed it so much overall that I actually signed up to the program again oh, as nice. a yeah yeah so I actually need the team of volunteers um, and that's when I went to Togo, like you mentioned before. Yeah. Um, you know, putting yourself forward for these leadership roles, like where do you get the confidence from? Um, and, you know, for people who are listening, like if they were, you know, sometimes agents can be stereotyped as not having that leadership qualities, right? And mm. I feel like that is it's so wrong in so many ways. Um, but like, you know, do you think that, you know, having that stereotype that, oh, you know, Asians can't necessarily, because we don't see them in the high, um, I suppose, leadership roles as well as as much as we should, um, what are the steps that you feel like we could take um, when it comes to, you know, personal development, such as taking on those leadership skills as well? And yeah, like, I suppose, what was your experience like doing that? Even if it's not like in a company, like a global company or whatnot, but, you know, every small step counts, I feel. Um, so what would be, like, your advice on that? Mm, yeah, that's a good question, you know. <laughs> I think something that I often advise in terms of, of confidence, and this is also something that I speak about um, for young people who might be leaving school at 16, 18, or perhaps after their university degree and, and applying for jobs, is that often there's a lot of self-selection where say we ourselves won't go for a job because mm. we don't or we don't think we're suitable or we don't think we'll fit into that work culture or whatever it is and um, and that really is the case of leadership roles and it's sad to say that these stereotypes really do exist particularly around sort of like east and southeast asian people unfortunately these stereotypes do exist um but i definitely think it's a case of something i like to tell myself and also advise like younger students that i'm working with is um you, wait, what do I say? The company, or say if you're applying for a job, the company knows best about what they want from the person who wants in the role. Mm-hmm. Um, but they can't assess you or they can't 
and sort of judge whether, whether you're the right person for that role if you haven't put in an application. Yeah. So really the first step that we need to do is to put in an application. Don't self-select yourself out of the process before you even entered it. Yeah. And I, that's often the mindset that I like to keep in mind. So just shoot your shot. Like you don't know what's going to happen. Like worst case, you get a rejection email or perhaps you get ghosted by the company. That does happen as well. Um, but actually, um, at least you gave it a go. Yeah. And you probably learned something from that application process. And it's up, it's in them, it's in the company's hands. Like you've put your best foot forward. You've told them who you are, what you're about and what your experience is and what you want to contribute. Um, and it's up to them and they know better about what they actually want from the role, which isn't always the the attributes and the experience that they've listed in, say, a job description. Mm. They'll end up hiring someone who doesn't fulfil all of those bullet points. And actually, that, that those bullet points in the job description was a wish list. And it's not like I'm a you know super senior C-suite role in a massive global organisation or anything close to that. Um, but I think with confidence, it really is the case of knocking things down step by step. Yeah. Because with every step that you take, and I think the experience that I've had so far, sort of shooting my shot and putting myself up for um, roles that maybe I might not be qualified for, but it turns out in the end that I do have a lot of um, ability and skills that are relevant to it. Um, I think that'll put me in good stead for continuing to do that as I move on further in my career and also things outside of the, yeah, the day job. Um, yeah, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, but no, yeah, definitely. The big conversation that we continually need to have because it's not just like one day we're going to check that off and think, yeah. yes, I'm confident enough because there's so many different situations exactly. and different skills. And as you move up further in your career, your confidence will change. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a good thing to talk about. Yeah, that's great advice as well. Just kind of put yourself out there first. That's the first step that you can take. Um, so I suppose leading on from this, I also, you know, brought about your volunteering role because I feel like I, when I was listening to your podcast, you did mention that the whole um, TED speaking opportunity came from this. Am I correct? Um, so could you just talk about, you know, how did you end up finding yourself in front of all this audience talking about, you know, like in a... <laughs> stage such as TED Ed um so if you could just kind of expand on that yeah the TED story is a bit of a, a wild one so picking up from where we got to before I mentioned that I I went on the international citizen service volunteer program and then applied for the program again to be a team leader which I ended up doing same program but different charity so the charity is called YK International um, and I went to Togo and YK International is part of the YMCA network so the the youth network and um, that's huge globally and yes it is like the song by MCA. <laughs> yeah that always comes up in my head like in the background that yeah. song <laughs> the world famous song by MCA and also the worldwide um, global youth network um and yeah so after that placement which is also a whole a whole story in itself sort of leading the multicultural multilingual um, team to deliver um, projects for the local community there. Um, following that, I were, the, the charity staff kindly nominated me for a um, YNCA award that was sort of based in England and Wales. So they, they nominated me for an award which I ended up winning, which was really um, no, in, incredible but unexpected. Mm-hmm. Um, very kind of and then following on from that, I got um, nominated for an opportunity for a um, for the TED Ed um, coaching and speaking opportunity. So um, the the YMCA was celebrating a big anniversary. They were going to hold a huge event 
in London, um, which is where the Wines Here movement actually started. So they partnered up with TED, which is incredible. Like, who hasn't been inspired by a TED Mm. talk before? Um, So it's quite like a a special style of of presenting as well. Um, So they partnered up with TED to provide coaching for a group of speakers, which I, again, this was the case of me shooting my shot. I got nominated by the charity for, to, to be a potential speaker. And then I had to record a, a video like audition. Right. Speak about so we can get a feel of my style and the topic and my passion for it as well. Um, and it was all about like women in STEM and women in engineering specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could have very easily said, you know, thanks for nominating me. I don't think it's right for me and not submitted the video um, audition application. So yeah, that's a perfect example of shooting your shot because you don't know where it can take you. Exactly. Um, and yeah, I ended up getting the amazing opportunity to speak in front of a huge international audience right here in my hometown of London and um, sharing something I'm super passionate about, but also receiving coaching from the TED team who are, you know, massively experts in that yeah. field. And it's, uh, yeah, it's an experience I will take with me throughout my life. And I think um, it's something that I hope to share as well. So mm-hmm. I do deliver workshops around public speaking and stuff and hopefully encouraging people to be more confident, whether that's public speaking uh, on a stage or mm-hmm. just like in a work meeting or in a job interview or a, I don't know, a, a pitch for their business or something like this, like starting their own podcast platform, whatever it is, yeah. whatever kind of public speaking it is. Um, yeah, I'm really passionate about that and so grateful for that experience which was yeah that's incredible (laughs) yeah that is incredible so obviously from your own experience like how you know what helps you when it comes to getting on the stage and presenting or talking about something that you're passionate about what's like one piece of advice that you would give um about just feeling confident and not getting not letting the nerves get the better of you like when you were getting coaching as well you know what did what kind of things did you learn yeah, um, so in the lead up to that talk, I was extremely nervous to the point where I was like procrastinating my preparation, which right. is not a tip that I would give anybody because the preparation is so important. You know, really thinking about a lot of the coaching was about what's the message that you want to share. There needs to be a uh, an overarching sort of thread that goes throughout your, your TED talk. When t- some TED talks are less than five minutes, some are way longer than that, but whatever it is, what is, what is the message that you want to share? Making sure that all parts of your talk sort of link up and, and connect to mm-hmm. uh, a really inspirational message at the end. Um, um, but yeah, I was definitely really nervous in the in the weeks leading up to it and something which is important is the preparation but also sometimes I think it is possible to over prepare for a big talk because you might get too stuck on a certain script which can actually end up throwing you off if you do sort of miss a bit or change when you're actually up there with all the eyes on you um I think something which is good to remember when you're actually delivering a talk is yeah remembering your message and for me I often present about things I'm already very very passionate about so it's quite easy I think for that energy to come across to engage the audience if you sound bored talking about what you're talking about the audience is going to be bored as well Mm. and I if you're speaking about something you know remember why you're doing it what is the impact that you want to have what is the message you want to share and that can help you share that energy um so that it will come to you more naturally I think than you think but I know a lot of people get really scared about public speaking 
um, which is completely natural, completely normal. You might be more weird if you didn't get nervous at all before something that was important to you or or quite a big stage. But um, yeah, I guess, again, it's one of those things which is always uh, um, you, you gain confidence step by step. So mm-hmm. each experience after that TED talk, I didn't think that I would ever be nervous public speaking ever again. And for a while, that was very true, especially speaking in front of audiences. But when we went into lockdown and suddenly I was giving um, some talks or virtually to an audience where everyone had their cameras off, mm-hmm. that was unnerving, actually. And I was it was sort of like a very different situation. Yeah. I could have been doing the exact same talk, but it was a different situation. So, yeah, I think with more experience, um, you, gain things, you gain confidence step by step, as you said. But, um, yeah, it, it is uh, something where I would recommend just put yourself a little bit out of your comfort zone each time if you are looking to develop your confidence with public speaking. Yeah. Um, well, I was obviously watching the video and I was thinking, you were such a natural, such a pro, and, like, your body language as well. It was like it was like someone, you know, you 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 were so interested about what you're talking about like I was being you know kind of like I'm glad to hear that yeah no honestly um and I was thinking um it it, it looked like you've done it for so many like years um so yeah it was really like great to kind of see that um so when it comes to um I know you're obviously passionate about you know diversity and inclusion and all of that um I suppose now kind of coming out of all of like your volunteering role I just wanted to kind of focus on your podcast um and speak a little bit about like why you obviously mentioned in the beginning it was like a lockdown passion project and I think it's just been over one year now hasn't it with your podcast as well um so like I I mean I know some of the topics that you talk about um and also know that you want to break the stereotypes as well um could you just kind of talk about a little bit in more detail I suppose about why why you're passionate about what you talk about on your podcasts Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so for years, I've been a massive fan of lots of um, sort of podcasters and other content creators, sort of Asian Americans, and I think that's the case for a lot of um, British East and Southeast Asian people because that was the representation that we saw. Yeah. It was it was online, so not in mainstream media like mainstream TV, movie, or radio. It was yeah, all online um, content creators. And what I felt like that there was a content gap. Um, here in the UK where yes some of our experiences are similar to Asian Americans but there's also you know it's a very different country it's very different Mm -hmm. places are quite different as well um so that's why I started a podcast I started a podcast that I wanted to listen to basically yeah and um yeah I sort of speak around specifically East and Southeast Asian groups, diaspora, of which there's many, many different countries and nationalities and cultures and languages and all of that. Um, But there's also sort of some sort of common ground. And um, like your podcast, we do speak to guests around sometimes their work, but then sometimes also lots of other things that pertain to our communities. And these are, again, all things that I would have wanted to listen to as Mm -hmm. a podcast listener. So that's the mindset that I have when I record and edit and publish all of the, my different Yellow Bee Pod podcast episodes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it like you said, I was one of those who obviously kind of um, watched and heard like, you know, like a- Asian Americans, especially yeah. when in YouTube, I think they had like most of those yeah. content going out and I would always watch them and I, I like you as well would think like oh, there is a missing gap like you know some of us um, we can relate to a certain extent but not to like 
all of it. Um, so yeah, it, it's really interesting, like where you talk to. I think you've got um, guests from like who are South Korean as well, don't you? So it was kind of interesting to hear kind of their stories. And although, like you said, we may not all be from the same kind of like country or whatnot, but there is still that relatable factor. And yeah, it's always been fun to listen to that and be able to relate to it. So yeah, it's really it's been fun, kind of. Um, going through your episodes as well so for uh, for those listening if you don't already know um check out yellow bee pod she does amazing podcasts as well great episodes um and i suppose um i just want to say you know i was recently like i said um i do look at linkedin for people's kind of prep for asking questions and whatnot and i just saw like recently you'd um posted about um your certificate for level two in equality and diversity um and it's great to see you kind of always doing something that makes you grow like personally as well um in a profession and professionally um so uh, you know what kind of motivates you to keep on doing that and i suppose no one's really making you do these right so you're kind of doing it because you want to do it so what's kind of like your motivating factor when it comes to growing personally and professionally? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think sometimes we see that sort of continual professional development CPD as something which is sort of mandated. Maybe it's part of your annual review, your manager tells you to do it, and or you might see it as just a way to get to your next promotion. Mm. I think that's quite, quite frequent for those within the working world just to have it as that mindset. But ultimately, I think it's, it's down to ourselves, like, we are both pretty early on in our careers. There's so many years ahead of us. The industries are changing anyway. I don't know what my next job is going to be, let alone what I could be working in. Yeah. So I think it's really important to keep learning, particularly as industries change so much with technology. And again, this is something that I always um, try to spread so that it gets to teenage students who are making those key decisions, the jobs that they could be working in in the future might not even exist yet. Mm. So open-minded and keep learning and hopefully that's a mindset that I can keep um myself throughout my career and my life because life isn't just about career yeah yeah so it's something I find really um interesting and useful um I also think I'm sure a lot of people do have um things that they do to yeah professional development or personal development but they might not necessarily shout about it and talk mm. about it and I'm that person that doesn't mind doing a slightly cringeworthy LinkedIn post I think it is good to shout about it because then people know what you're about what you're interested in exactly. and it's great connection we got to yeah and personally that's something that um I want to do more of as well um Mm -hmm. to you know be able to talk about what you're doing achieved um and you know I think it's sometimes especially again when it comes to Asians we can um, be a bit shy about talking about what we've achieved and um I was recently doing an episode with um Meeks and she talks she does a I am remarkable um workshop which is really um highlighting um you know the issue that women have when it comes to talking about their achievements and I feel like we should do a little bit, bit more of that um because there's nothing wrong about talking about what we've achieved and what we're doing um so yeah I think I think keep on doing what you're doing and whatever you're doing is great Natalie and it's been so interesting talking to you and um it's really inspiring to hear you do so many different things I don't know how you have time <laughs> to fit everything in um and you're also very much, you know, involved with the um, Southeast Asian community. And 
Um, is there anything like you want to share or anything to wrap up the episode? Um, something I want to share. Oh, September is the UK's first East and Southeast Asian Heritage Month, which is really exciting. Definitely something that should already exist. Yeah. Something I personally been um, waiting for. So it's really fantastic to the, the team at Seen who created this um, inaugural month that's going to be happening with different events, both virtually and across different cities in the UK. So I'm personally really looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. And, um. Yeah, if anyone wants to come to any of the events, let me know. I'll be your buddy. It'll be fun to um, meet up with people who are listening to this episode as well. Nice. Um, feel free to connect with me online at Yellow Bee Pod on um, Instagram, Twitter, or uh, you can find me if you search my name into LinkedIn. Um, it's always great to connect and find different people. That's something that I found from my podcast as well. I knew that there was like a few people of interest in the public eye that I wanted to request and um, like write to them and see whether they wanted to guest on my podcast. Mm-hmm. The more people I spoke to, the more people I wanted to um interview as well. Yeah. I thought that's the case with your podcast too. There's so many Asians out there. Yeah. Well, anyone who you know all these incredible stories um exactly and I just want to say um actually you know you've been so kind because I remember when I initially started my podcast you actually reached out and you messaged and you were like hey you know I'd be more than happy and um I was just literally starting at that point I thought oh my god that's so nice like you know it is it was so kind of you to be able to just reach out and it's nice to know that someone's always there kind of supporting this um movement as well and it really gave me a lot of encouragement actually so I just want to say thank you for that oh well I'm really glad to hear that it was just a small message so I'm, well, I'm glad it made you feel sort of maybe more comfortable with the podcast journey but like I said right at the beginning I'm always keen to have more of these Asian platforms whether they're podcasts or not you know whatever yeah. it is whatever people want to create I will always encourage people to do that because it's not the case that you know Asian Working As and Yellow Bee Pod already exist. We don't need any more Asian podcasts. Absolutely not. We want to have more platforms, and I'm always happy to share um, any advice from my experience. I'm not an expert, but I do have some experience with podcasting. So if anyone wants to start a podcast too, let me know. I'm happy to share tips as well. Um, but yeah, I'm really glad to hear that. You've done amazingly. You've interviewed so many people, and I think this whole cause for like showing role models and sharing these stories is yeah it's really admirable absolutely worthwhile and something I'm really passionate about as well oh thank you it's been amazing having you on Natalie and yeah keep on doing you and I hope to see you know more awards and recognitions that you're kind of gonna have under your belt <laughs> um but yeah thank you so much um and i'll leave all the links and everything below um somewhere on the description but thank you for listening everyone and thanks Natalie again Thank you so much for having me.